Hello, welcome to Candy Jail. I'm Marcus Puskar. On today's show, we'll be discussing the vehicle that makes the world of commercialized food go. The substance that surrounds us, it communicates to us, it tells us what big food corporations want us to know. It's their medium. It's seductive and shiny, and has probably caught your attention several times today. We're talking about plastic. The exoskeleton of just about everything available in a supermarket. Plastic as packaging is an outcome that combines the world of industrialized food with the fossil fuel industry. They go hand in glove together. There's a lot to unpack, and this week we'll be exploring how we got here. Single-use plastic is ubiquitous now, but that's a very new phenomenon. To help make sense of the domination of plastic in our lives, we'll be talking to Jan Dell. Jan Dell is a chemical engineer who came from a career where she worked in plastics and eventually had to call it quits. Her organization, The Last Beach Cleanup, aims to highlight the many ways that we can move past plastic altogether, and in doing so, get to a place where we don't ever need to do any beach cleanups again. So I had a corporate career in chemical engineering, and I helped companies make things. And I, all the things they made, I thought were really good footwear, toys. All the companies I worked with were really responsible, and I helped them make their factories cleaner and then their supply chains of making those things. But five years ago, my job was going to have to change, and I was going to have to help big petrochem companies build new plastics plants. And I said no. And so I, so I had to basically retire. But I decided to become an activist because I saw this proliferation of all this new plastic production and the plastic waste going to Asia. And I wanted to fight this. I'm very intrigued because because the the intersection I'm a chemical engineer but the intersection between all the technical aspects of all of this and then the marketing and consumer behavior is what's so fascinating which is what you just touched on fascinating and and I think those kinds of stories of like oh Piggly was Wiggly was the first and then they had to give you some sort of shelf appeal to start buying it. And I just went to look for a book. You've got to get this book called Waste Makers. It was written in 1961 by this guy who is absolutely brilliant. I've underlined the whole book. And he really talked about planned obsolescence and how marketers are making us buy stuff. And he did this in 1961, which is like the same time that the Mad Men era came about. Right. Because that whole Mad Men era of, was, you know, I mean, the Piggly Wiggly was, yeah, kind of in that time frame. I mean, there were grocery stores before, but that's that Mad Men era of advertising to get you to choose the Kool-Aid or the Tang and all of that really was this beginning of this of this mass consumption and packaging to attract middle class, the rise of the middle class. And, and buyers and choose, choose this over this. So how does plastic fit into the story of the supermarket and overproduction? When items were placed in competition with one another on a grocery store shelf, they needed packaging. Recall that it was Clarence Saunders' method for cutting back on labor costs. He didn't want to pay grocers, so he lined products up on a shelf, opening the door for producers to do whatever they could to appeal to us. This created conditions for self-contained items of food. This effect impacted both the inside and how the food was made, was now greasy, salty, fatty, and wanted to appeal to us so that we came back for more and more. 
and the outside as a tool for communicating to customers. So when we ask what plastic is for, the most obvious answer is that it's a container. It might be helpful to think back to when people were first introduced to packaged foods and think about how exciting this must have been. Seriously, we have to have empathy and compassion when we look back at our past generations and consider how they came to be enamored with these new consumer items and the very marginal time-saving techniques that they provided them with. It was the birth of modernity. It was intoxicating. It would have been quite easy to be duped just by the shiny labels. There was not yet any reason to distrust the words on the packaging. And people couldn't quite grasp the trade-off they were making because the trash hadn't started to pile up yet. Plastic provides its producers with limitless potential to be manipulated. It can be shiny, colorful, flexible. Think of how bees find colorful flowers to pollinate. We gravitate towards these neon receptacles in the same way. It's the same idea. We're drawn to the seeming impossibility of how pristine and colorful plastic can be. One thing I noticed, like Nabisco was originally National Biscuit Company. And they originally, in the old days, they actually had, you know, barrels of biscuits that you'd go and get your biscuit from in the old, the old, old, you know, West store, what have you. And then they figured out how to put them in that kind of wax packaging so they could sell crackers separately, right? And so now we've evolved and evolved. And of course, you've seen all those images of Life magazine when plastics really exploded starting in the you know 50s and 60s and plastic packaging and the ability to make this stuff. And, and um, Vance Packard wrote, he wrote Wastemakers, as he would tell you, marketing was created to sell all this incredible, not incredible, incredible amount of stuff that was being produced. We had this problem. We were producing, chemical engineers like me were just producing so much. Marketers came about to try to sell it. So we, had, we always had this problem of overproduction of stuff. And then marketers try to sell it to you, try to find markets to you. And in plastics, this has just spun up and up and up to where we are today, where... The amount of single-use plastics, um, and especially if we look like it packaging, and I brought this in. I bought these as an example, but I have to admit, I'm hungry, and I started eating them. Here Jan is showing me a single serving of Pringles that comes in a white, thin clamshell. I'm sure you can imagine it. Um, these little Pringles, because they're falsely labeled, the, the box is in my garage, I keep all these examples of false labels, but but look at this little box of Pringles, actually. They can't just sell it in this, right? Because, oh, for your kid's school lunch, you need to be able to sell it in this. So look at this packaging. I mean, this just, they're claiming it's recyclable. It's, it's not. It's polypropylene. It's just not recyclable. It's not going to get recycled. And, and they're selling these you know, and appealing to moms to, it's really aimed at the school lunch thing, right? To like, you know, give this to you, love your kid a lot. If you give this to you, this special little thing in their lunch. It wasn't enough just to do this, which um, really isn't a single helping. But anyway, they have to go to this. And to me, it's this sort of thing that is the most egregious. This sort of thing is what's really skyrocketed the amount of plastic waste per person in America and in the world is taking everything down to this, this single-use plastic packaging, and then they market it to us on-the-go convenience. Oh, you're such a good mom if you put it in 
in, in in your kid's lunchbox. And then you just look at like the checkout stands of the grocery stores now. I mean, they're just, just pushing it all just to just get this whole snack behavior of buying this little, you know, just snack, snack, snacks everywhere. Those things didn't used to be there at the checkout stand, but they're, there's good markup in them. And it's just individual wrapping. And it's that it's that level of, for me, of the plastic packaging food interface that I think is really the worst and the ter- and terrible and should be eliminated. So how do we get from the National Biscuit Company deciding that it's worth it to package their products to absolutely everything, even the companies insisting to us that they're the good guys using plastic to wrap their food? Well, there's a final piece of the puzzle that makes plastic the favorite of all food producers. It is dirt cheap. And within this, we see the appeal for financial efficiency that dominates how our world is shaped. So even if we don't like plastic anymore, in the eyes of the market, that doesn't matter one bit. You know, honestly, I would step back and say it's, you know, a two-gallon milk jug, an HDPE natural milk jug. Is that the worst thing in the world? If that's all the plastic thing we got, like when I was a kid, no. I mean, we really wouldn't have a problem, okay? Those could be collected. They could be downcycled into something. Is there toxicity from the HTP going into the milk? I don't, I'm going to let someone else be the expert on that. I'm going to assume not it's safe, but you know, every day we learn more on that. Recycled plastic is definitely toxic though. Um, but, but when we, now that we've gotten to this, this next, this whole next generation world of this kind of stuff and, you know, little pouches of peanut butter and the individual squeeze packages of applesauce for your baby, this level where literally you're buying more plastic than food, any package where you're buying more plastic than the food that's in it is a big problem. And it's rampant and the food product companies and the there's a whole realm of plastic packaging companies. There's this one called Berry, B-E-R-R-Y, Berry Global. And they're the ones that make all this stuff. And man, they're just trying to invent the smaller, more of these. To, and then they go to the potato chip company and they go, hey, look, we could, we could, if we made these, you could put your potato chips in and then you can sell, you know, a lot more and they cost more on a potato chip basis. And then smaller bags, instead of buying one big Ritz cracker, putting in or Cheerios. When my kids were little, I had a big box of Cheerios and I got these reusable plastic yellow round Cheerio container things. I put Cheerios in them when we'd go out, they'd get their Cheerios. I'd bring it back the next time I do it. Well, now there's like little individual packages of Cheerios or people put them in baggies because that's so cheap. And then you make all this plastic waste every single time instead of doing like one big, you know, Cheerio box that would last a long time and then a little reusable thing. So as Jan explained, these are not accidental outcomes. Somewhere along the way, a rep from Barry Global meets with a rep from a food producer. They explain to them how small they can make the packaging and how profit margins go up when producers sell at this volume. It's a no-brainer financially. This is economic growth incarnate, turning the same food into smaller units to make more money. It's alchemy. These people are doing their jobs very well. Deals like this might lead to bonuses for some of them. Barry Global is listed on the New York Stock Exchange. It's an S&P 400 component. It made $14 billion in revenue last year. If you own any mutual funds, there's a chance that Barry is one of your holdings. And although I'm picking on Barry, there are many others exactly like him. 
and then more and more is demanded of plastic to proliferate these sales. Those reps meet with more food companies, and more individual units at supermarkets get smaller and smaller. Then more and more litter pollutes our surroundings and fills up our oceans. It remains cheap, easy, and lucrative for these companies to make plastic and sell it to food producers. And plastic has gotten so cheap, 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 cheaper and cheap because fracking was invented. And I have been in the oil and gas industry. Fracking has made oil and gas very cheap. In particular, gas is what makes polyethylene. Polyethylene is plastic films and bags and so on. And um, it's made plastic super cheap. They produce it at great scale for very, very little. And it's cheaper than cardboard. It's cheaper than glass. It's cheaper than metal. So it replaces all that stuff. And it's lighter. And so they can pack more onto a truck to get it out somewhere where they might put um, things in boxes and then um, like a wax bag inside like a cereal thing in the past. Now they're putting them in plastic pouches, right? Because they can get a lot more in and sell them for the same amount on the store. So there's less volume to ship, which is cheaper for them because it's all about money. And then it can make the pouch really shiny and, and good looking and everything. And it's just been this spiral, right? It's the marketing spiral that you just said. And it's just spiraled and gotten worse and worse and worse. And what's the metric of worse is how much waste is being made. And I've published different reports that have the EPA numbers at it. And, you know, the amount of plastic waste per person in America, you know, just has gone up 200% in the last 20 years or something like, so, so way, way, way more because the stuff's all getting offered to us. It's so easy to buy. It's so cheap. It's so convenient. It's pushing us at, you know, at the, <laughs> at the grocery store checkout everywhere we go, there's the opportunity to buy a snack. And as a, as a human being, it's hard to resist, right? And it's like, you have to literally, most people have to literally resist doing this when it's offered to you. It's very, it's, it's hard. It's hard for people because you love sugar, water, all the things that food is addictive, right? And the things they're putting in it, um, I'll, I'll play to that, making more smaller options, um, and, and using the fanciest kind of shrink sleeves and things to, to make it um, appealing. And so that's where we are today. Implicit in the ubiquity that plastic celebrates now is a very convenient lack of a public understanding about what plastic is and where it comes from. I think it just sort of gets associated with the food that it comes with. We don't want to bite the hand that feeds us. If we have food and plastic is just the cost of doing business to acquire the food, what are you going to do? I think there'd be a much larger conversation about plastics if people regarded them as the products of the oil and gas industry that they are. Objects extracted from the earth that end up forming a cocoon around nearly every object in the supermarket. Here's a quick overview of the lifeline that carbon undergoes to become litter. Hundreds of millions of years ago, it was some sort of living matter, probably some type of plant that converted the then very carbon-rich atmosphere into energy and turned it into matter. The carbon matter then decayed, and over the eons, seeped deep into the crust of the earth. It stayed down there until eventually it was extracted and refined, becoming polyethylene. From there, it may have to have been shipped to the other side of the planet, where a company like Barry purchased it and molded it into a single-use bottle, and then sold it to another company like Coca-Cola. That Coke bottle would become one of the more than 117 billion Coke bottles produced annually. 
that product eventually fulfills its destiny as a sugary treat, but the bottle remains. In a couple million years, that matter might just seep back into the crust of the earth, but until then, we just have to deal with it. Here's Jan explaining the supply chain of how fossil fuels become sidewalk trash. So the supply chain, you started talking about the supply chain of all of this. So at the intersection down here, definitely the food and beverage companies are connected with the, the plastic packaging companies to try to maximize sales growth and profit. So that's where they're inventing these little things every day, inventing more and more plastic to sell shiny plastic they want to use plastic so this is down here but if we so you know the food supply chain of how how food is made and you know beverage companies how, how they off operate right but so the the plastic supply chain to get there way upstream you have oil and gas companies and and some of them just make oil and gas they just put it in a pipeline they sell it that's just an oil and gas it could go into the ambulance the school bus it could go into this right it goes into a pipeline. The next big industry is the petrochemical industry. And this is the beginning of the plastics makers. These are the guys that are pumping it out. And the more molecules they pump out, the more money they make, the bigger their paychecks are, right? So it's the really start for me, it starts with the petrochemical industry and that's Dow Chemical. Now, ExxonMobil has a petrochemical business. Shell has a petrochemical business. Chevron has a petrochemical business. BP got rid of theirs. Yeah. So, but so it's but there's other companies besides oil and gas. There's uh, Dow, BSF, Lionel Bazell. These are the guys who make. So they're making the plastic resin bead, and they're cranking it out. They're cranking it out and making it cheaper and cheaper. And then you've got this next part of the business. And this is a business that gets no attention and that I really detest is the plastic packaging companies. And they're the ones, they buy the little resin beads, right? Oh, and, and I detest Dow too. Okay. Uh, for the record, because they tell so many falsehoods. Um, okay. So they make the resin bead, the petrochemical industry, and then you've got your plastic packaging company that turns it into this little cup. Okay. They're the ones turning it or into the, the sheet of film or the pouch. And they sell that to the beverage company or um, the, the potato chip company to then go to a factory. And there's some neat, there's videos online. I love factories. I've been in 500 factories, every kind of factory in the world. That's where they would take, they would take this plastic film, make it into a pouch and put potato chips in it. And that's, that would be owned by Frito-Lay, for example. But they were gonna buy this plastic film from the packaging company. And then there, they come together in this factory that actually puts the food and the plastic packaging together. So way upstream is oil and gas, but they're just making oil and gas that could go anywhere. Petrochemical makes the resin bead. Plastic packaging companies turn it into the actual package. And then you get to where the food or beverage comes together and gets put into the product, which is then goes to the store shelf and then sold to the consumer. They're all trying to innovate with some new cool packaging to help their customer 
sell more product. And they go hand in hand and they work on it together. Once we think about the long journey that fossil fuels have taken to become a receptacle for our food and can grasp how extensive this system is, it's important to think about the two, food producers and oil and gas, working in conjunction. The two industries are inseparable. Their interests overlap far too often. So both of them need to be held accountable for the damage that they are causing. Every single piece of plastic trash that you pass is there because of the deliberate actions of both of these industries. And I think a good way to recontextualize how we think about these polluters is by fully honoring their commitment to advertising to us constantly. We should view each piece of plastic we see on the ground as the ad that it is, a cry for attention from these companies. Many of them say their names proudly, advertising the fact that they're clogging a sewer drain or catching a current into the middle of the ocean. Coke, Pepsi, Starbucks, Nestle, they all clearly state their responsibility. Would Coca-Cola be the most recognizable brand in the world if its products' polyethylene exoskeletons weren't forever scattered across the planet? I have a hard time seeing how. In this sense, their pollution serves them a critical function. They have free advertising on every corner of the earth. But behind each of those names, we must remember the supply chain that got them there. Imagine if those bottles said, This Coke was brought to you in collaboration with Exxon, or Chevron, or Dow, or Lionel Bazell, Barry. How about all the supermarkets that help distribute and sell all their products? And all the others that seem okay with leaving their trash surrounding us? I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I like to teach the world to sing. Sing with me. Even if we assumed that everyone across the globe was being totally diligent with their plastic after they used it, and either discarded it or recycled it properly, it would still surround us as litter. And that's due to the sheer volume of it. It's simply impossible to have a sophisticated enough infrastructure to handle how much of it is being made. So in America, the good thing is we, we, have, we have solid waste. We have solid waste and collection recycling systems. But unfortunately, there's way too much plastic pollution. And where I really have studied this, obviously, you can tell. Yeah, I think so much of it is on the go, which is what ends up in the beach cleanups. And, and the name of my group is The Last Beach Cleanup, because my goal is to get to the last beach cleanup, meaning we won't have to do them anymore. Right. And so how do things end up on our beaches and in our rivers in America still? I think so much of it is this on-the-go consumption, which is what they're promoting to us. We're spending a lot of time in cars. If you go to any shopping center anywhere, I'm in Southern California, but um, I also live in Texas. You go anywhere, you go to a shopping center outside their, you know, the the um, the TJ Maxx or what have you. There's going to be a a um, trash can overflowing 
with Starbucks cups and all this to go stuff because everybody's eating on the go now. And the collection of all of this waste on the go is terrible in comparison to all the waste made. So even if people get out of their car and they have their Starbucks mug and they cup, sorry, plastic cup, and they want to get rid of it, they're going to go look for a trash can. Oh, wait, well, the trash can's already overflowing. Okay, well, I'll set it next to the trash can. Hopefully somebody will pick it up. Because the reality is we're just making too much of this single-use plastic waste that it, it can't, it's impossible to collect it all. And then it's totally not recyclable. So then even then it would go to landfill or incineration. But it's just too much confetti getting thrown out. That's how I think of it, getting thrown out onto the planet. There's just no way to, to catch it all back up because that's a huge cost. The shopping centers would have to have a hundred trash cans and people picking them up 10 times a day on Sundays, you know, like they don't pick up on Sundays usually. And, and it's just too much out there. And then it goes into the, you know, parking lot and then it gets blown away. I've actually tracked it in Texas and in, in near Houston, um, where I live part-time, um, you know, it can go from the shopping center to the bayou, you, you know, you see it in trees all the way around because of one overflowing trash can. It's going everywhere and it's ending up in trees. And again, it's just one overflowing trash. And, and those trash things are overflowing everywhere. They're overflowing everywhere. It's just terrible because everyone, there's such a, we've all been promoted on this culture and it's delicious. So people do it. Oh, I'm out. I'm going to get a Starbucks. And then, oh, wait, I don't want to have this with me or I'm walking around. I'm going to put it in this trash thing. And they're all over. Take a look. You won't be able to unsee it anymore. All these trash cans are overflowing um, with all this on the go plastic waste. Food like this on the go has just become entertainment. It's not even sustenance, right? It's just like, oh, I'm bored and I, you know, I'm just going to go, hey, there's a Starbucks. I'm going to drive through and get it. And you go to other countries like in Europe, it doesn't exist. But I named the name of my group to be the last beach cleanup to try to get to the world to be at the last beach cleanup. Because one of the things I resented, Marcus, was that I saw all these beach cleanups happening. And then the Ocean Conservancy, who leads these beach cleanups, which is great. And since I was a kid, I did these. And I took my kids to do them. But just, you know, around... 2018, when I'm all into this, I'm just seeing them produce reports with like people with happy people with all this plastic waste. And it got to the point where I'm like, wait, why are we celebrating beach cleanups? This is wrong. Why are we celebrating? They're celebrating how much plastic waste we collected. And as an engineer, I'm like, wait a second, the goal is to get to nothing. We should be really sad that we have to still do beach cleanups which is why I named my NGO and I started an official NGO and I collaborate with, with other NGOs, the last beach cleanup. Cause the goal is to get to the point where we don't have any plastic pollution. Cause we shouldn't celebrate the bad stuff.
Next week, we'll be digging even deeper into plastic and how it is represented legally. How industry's lobbyists work tirelessly to keep it circulating, despite the obvious harm it causes us. How they pass laws that keep it deregulated and shame individuals for the problems that they have thrust on our planet and our health. They've even convinced us that plastic recycling is like a real actual thing that happens more often than not, which isn't even close to the truth. So what has happened here is that somewhere along the way, we've been duped into allowing this level of corporate malpractice to take place right under our noses, and have somehow let it be blamed on us. We've somehow totally separated these polluters from the consequences that they've brought about. Tune in next week to find out how that happens. And please be sure to find Candy Jail wherever you listen to podcasts if you'd like to hear more. I'm Marcus Puskar. Thanks so much for listening. Life in a candy jail with peppermint bars, peanut brittle bunk.